Nutmeg Book Drops is a new podcast brought to you by Librarians Connect. Librarians Connect is a group of public and school librarians from throughout the state of Connecticut. Find us online at bit.ly slash librariansconnect. I'm Christina Carpino from the Essex Library Association. I'm joined by three wonderful librarians today. I'm Amy Lillian Harper from the Wilton Library Association. I'm Michelle Farella from the Meriden Public Library. And I'm Trisha Carlin from the Westbrook Public Library. On each week's episode, we'll be discussing two of the 2022 Nutmeg nominees. Haven't had a chance to read this week's books yet? Stay tuned for a preview of each of the titles. Then pause the episode and head to your local library to grab these great titles. Once you've read them, join us for a spoiler-filled discussion of both books. First up today, we're going to discuss Cog by Greg Van Eekout, published by HarperCollins. Five robots, one unforgettable journey. Their programming will never be the same. Cog looks like a normal 12-year-old boy, but his name is short for cognitive development, and he was built to learn. But after an accident leaves him damaged, Cog wakes up in an unknown lab, and Gina, the scientist who created and cared for him, is nowhere to be found. Surrounded by scientists who want to study him and remove his brain, Cog recruits four robot accomplices for a mission to find her. Cog, ADA, Proto, Trashbot, and Carr's journey will likely involve much cognitive development in the form of mistakes, but Cog is willing to risk everything to find his way back to Gina. Who would you recommend this book to? I think um, anyone who likes an adventure, anyone who likes something a little bit like with robots or little science fiction would like this book. It's got a lot of sort of tech and then it's got a whole escape and it's got lots of, it's a lot of, it was a lot of fun. So I think kids who like adventures, even a little bit of mystery, and it was a quick read. It was very, it went by really fast. So I think a lot of people would actually like this book. I was on Goodreads and it looks like a lot of people, like grown-ups, read it and enjoyed it. It's maybe a good one for a parent and child or caregiver and child to read together. Yeah, I agree. I think this would be, um, this one brings up a lot of questions about artificial intelligence and autonomy and um, microchips being planted in your head type thing. So I, I mean, all things that may be in a distant future kind of might be fun to discuss with uh, an adult. Our second book to discuss today is Emmy in the Key of Code by Amy Lucido, published by Versify. In this innovative middle grade novel, coding and music take center stage as the new girl, Emmy, tries to find her place in a new school. Perfect for fans of Girls Who Code series and the crossover. In a new city at a new school, 12-year-old Emmy has never felt more out of tune. Things start to look up when she takes her first coding class, unexpectedly connecting with the material and Abigail, a new friend, through a shared language, music. But when Emmy gets bad news about their computer teacher and finds out Abigail isn't being entirely honest about their friendship, she feels like her new life is screeching to a halt. Despite these obstacles, Emmy is determined to provide to prove one thing. 
that for the first time ever, she isn't a wrong note, but a musician and the world's most beautiful symphony. Who should check out this title? Uh, maybe I might suggest this to kids that were interested in coding, um, contemporary fiction lovers, as well as novels and verse slash poetry lovers. And um, someone maybe who is uh, looking for a quick read because novels and verse are, they fit the bill. If these books sound like they're for you, head to your local library to check them out. When you've finished reading, continue to listen to the rest of this episode and join our discussion. If you haven't read the books yet, pause the episode now to avoid spoilers. Let's jump right into our discussion of COG. So for a discussion, this is, I guess, more of a point of interest, but I just loved at the beginning when Cog is in the grocery store and the list says cheese. So his solution is to take every single thing that is labeled cheese and he ends up with like four carts worth of cheese. <laughs> because, well, first of all, I would like four carts worth of cheese in my house, I think. Um, but it also just made me realize how things that we think are as so simple, like the concept of cheese, are actually so complicated. And I remember my cousin, she went down and was teaching in the Dominican Republic for years, and she came back one summer and was at the grocery store trying to pick out toothpaste. And there's just so many choices, it becomes overwhelming. So I just, I thought that that was an interesting, even as humans, that we can experience that. Have you ever been like just completely overwhelmed? Like, why are there so many choices? Yes, frequently. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and especially when it comes to cheese, I, you know, it's not, it's not something I really ever thought about too, because when I go grocery shopping, I'm like, when I say cheese, I mean, cheese for sandwiches, cheese for tacos, and, you know, cheese for like, well, like maybe a macaroni dish. So I already know that going in, because that's what I'm looking for. But like, when you just put cheese on a list, it could be anything. And I love that you brought up the, the um, toothpaste thing, because COG finds um, the cheese whiz, and he's like, oh, that's, that's close enough. That's close enough to, um, uh, toothpaste so, so we'll just use that and like then yeah it's just funny that like the thought process that's behind that <laughs> the list that she gave him was really funny because generally speaking if i'm making my own list i would just you know make a list but if i'm giving a list to a kid or somebody who i wouldn't know who i was sending to the store i would very very be i would be very specific about what i wanted like mm -hmm. this kind of apples you know this kind of cheese sliced this brand of orange juice this kind of macaroni and cheese because i could really see a kid doing the exact same thing now if the kid lives with you and they know, well, we always buy this kind of cheese, they go in and they know, okay, well, it says cheese sticks, I'm getting these cheese sticks. But I know my kids love cheese. And if I just put cheese on the list, goodness knows what kind of cheese might end up in the They'd be spending $60 on cheese. Yeah, my mom always ordered Wilson honey ham cut three. Like that was the, the marker on the, on the thing. So growing up, going to the grocery store, that was always the order. So then when I 
became an adult and was going to the grocery store, I tried to order that and they didn't have Wilson honey ham. And I, I literally just didn't order ham. I was like, I, I don't know what else I want. <laughs> I just walked away. So I think we've all, we've all been there. And even I uh, used to teach digital citizenship and um, coding, and I went through this whole coding thing with the kids and how specific you have to be when you make a code. Like um, there's a, prank, a brain pop video where the character is making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or cake or something. And he just is like dumping things in and he's like using the eggs, but he's not cracking them and all that kind of thing. And you just have to be really specific. <laughs> It reminded me of that. Yeah, so to piggyback off of this, COG decides that the, uh, well, what they kind of discuss is that mistakes are the best way to learn, for us to learn. Do you agree with that? For me, I find that to be really um, a way for things to stick in my head, definitely. Yeah, because you remember like, oh, this, this happened last time and I'm not gonna let that happen again. Be, um... So yeah, that is, it, mistakes definitely are helpful, but it's nice to get things right the first time. <laughs> I think also that the idea of learning through mistakes is the idea of, of learning on your own. So by trial and error. So mm -hmm. you're given an assignment, okay, see if you can solve this problem, see if you can figure out how to do this. And you learn a lot more if you're physically doing it and trying it then if somebody says okay you're going to do this now you can learn when somebody teaches you like that but until you do it yourself you don't it generally doesn't stick so the idea of letting him kind of learn on by trial certainly made sense although mistakes aren't always the best way to learn although they do as michelle said stick in your mind i think it's mistakes are a great way to learn if they are corrected pretty quickly, because if you make a mistake for a long period of time, then it's harder to unlearn that. So that was, to me, I think if, if you, I think I would have been following Cog at a safe distance. And when I saw all of that cheese go in, I would have then been like, okay, so here's what happened. <laughs> also, um, I, I mean, when I would go grocery shopping with my mom on the weekends and like, I learned from just watching what she did and what she picked. So I think, you know, there's, there's many ways, as we know, there's many ways of learning. And I think like when it comes to something with like food shopping, which seemed very new to him, it doesn't seem like he'd ever followed her around before. This would be a scenario where you'd walk, you'd go around like the first time and be like, okay, so this is the type of cheese we use for sandwiches. This is the type of use cheese we use for tacos. This is what we use for pizza. Like, and like, this is the amount because we're just two people. Like, so, so and that would be a great way to learn in that environment. But, you know, trial and error um, is great too for um, different, different forms. It's like, like tinkering with, you know, code and whatnot. You, you run your code and it doesn't work. You try it again. But I feel like the food shopping is one of those things that you can learn, you know, with a teacher right next to you. You don't have to make a, like a big cart mistake like that. Yeah, like maybe we shouldn't learn to drive by trial and error. <laughs> you know, like maybe there are some aspects of our life where we don't want to ever make a mistake. <laughs> 
I did think it was interesting that she did sort of rather than like you said give him some parameters and be like okay this is and or show him some stuff let him follow her that she kind of just said here try this which I think was very unusual I mean I think that normally that is not how we would experience something normally somebody would either you would have followed your mom around or you got sent to the store and were told get these specific things or so it, it was interesting the concept of learning with like no scaffolding at all no direction mm -hmm. no pre-existing knowledge other than that i have to put stuff in this cart and i pay at the end yeah I would be interested if our, our listeners, our young listeners, if you think that you could effectively go to the grocery store on your own. And not just to go to buy the snacks that you want, but to go to actually buy like everything that your family would need to eat for the week. I think some, some probably could. You know, if you go with your parent or your caregiver enough, you probably know the routine. There are several other robot characters in this book. If you had to pick to be one of those robots, which one would you want to be? I think I'd want to be Cog. I liked him a lot. He was the most interesting character to me, maybe because he was the most human. If I had to have one of them living in my house, though, I would want Proto because I just thought he was so cute. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be Ada because... Um, Cog kind of has to show her that she like is more than just a weapon because she's like, this is what I was programmed to do. And this is what I know how to do. And luckily he's got that X factor in him that kind of like helps the robots kind of have choice. I would love to have um, the trash robot in my house too, because he was a good cleaner and I like, and it just got joy from cleaning. Would love to have someone in my house doing that for me. Yeah, I actually agree with both of you. I think that I'd like to be Cog. I like how it was just so interesting to me how he became, um, like he learned how to be emotional or have a, a, a moral code um, to live by. He kind of could distinguish right from wrong. I thought that was really interesting about him. But I also would love to have a trash robot in my house. I really would like that. <laughs> So Michelle, you brought up choice, and I know that that's a common theme in this story. So just, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, why is choice, why is having a choice so important to us as humans? What happens, what happens if you are not given any choices? Well, you don't get, you don't really get to learn, and you just basically exist for one purpose. Um, like... Um, the car, uh, <laughs> the robot car at one point was like, well, this is what I'm programmed to do. I pull over for law enforcement. I, you know, do this. And then when um, Cog gives the um, option of choice to the car, you know, they, it comes through in the last minute and you know, helps someone needed. So it, choice also helps them distinguish between right and wrong. Like, so they once they ha have that, they're like, oh, like I may do what I'm told, I may not, which depending on the setting could be good or bad. <laughs> I feel like choice gives you life. Like if, if you're programmed to do everything, then there's really no life to your life. It's just existing. Yeah, I agree with that, Trisha. I think that 
what made COG human in a way more than just a machine was the fact that COG was able to learn and grow and make decisions. Because if you're programmed, you can't grow, you can't, you can learn, but you can't really grow. And you certainly can't really have a personality and become a person and COG really did. And I think it was the fact that COG had the ability to make choices that part of that is what affected his ability to be more human. I think it's really interesting that Michelle, you said that choices kind of give us a sense of right and wrong and morality because a lot of times, and this is maybe more in books for older readers, but we see that there's always attempts at a future that's gonna be perfect by taking away choices from people. And that if you take away choices from people and just tell them this is the right thing to do, then there won't be any bad things going on because everyone will be doing the right thing. But when you're able to make choices, then you can recognize that sometimes the right thing that people are telling you to do is actually not the right thing in every situation. You know, it's the right thing for me to, um, you know, drink water. But if I just sat there all day and all I did was drink water, at some point that'd be too much water for my body. So we have to also be able to make choices and find that gray area in the middle. Would you want to live in the world where this book takes place? I don't think I would. I mean, they couldn't even distinguish, like, um, Cog looked like a regular boy. I think it would be really hard if we couldn't tell who was really human and, you know, what were the robots. Yeah, I, I like to live in that world to some degree. I, obviously, I agree with Trisha, not the full you're not being able to tell robots from humans, but it seems like the robots that they did have that were of use, like were very helpful. Like the self, I would love self-driving cars. And mm -hmm. um, I do like the idea of, you know, a robot dog for companionship uh, and the, the trash bot that, you know, is obviously we've got, you know, we've got the robots in our house, the vacuum, but that is not at the level of trash bot. <laughs> So I would like, I would like parts of that world, but not whole, all of it, especially when, um, oh, what was the name of the corporation? One mind or Unimind? Unimind. When, cause they're, they were going way too far. Like Cog's handler, um, has a, a chip implanted in her brain and it's basically like, well, apparently she, when she signed the contract to work there, it was there in some fine print on page 300 and, you know, yada, yada. Um, so that made like, that's not a world, you know, putting a chip in you once you get, will take away choice and make things, you just exist for this company. And it seemed like that's what they wanted to do with everybody. And you can commercialize that too. You can make ads when you're in someone's mind and have them sell things. So um, yeah, that's uh, definitely not the world I'd want to be. Read your terms of service. <laughs> Don't just click, I agree all the time. But then again, we can't always read all of it. They're like they've done, st like if you've read everything that you click, I agree to in an average person's lifetime, it says something like it would take you 375 years or something to actually read it all. Like it's not always possible. 
But there are some good resources online that you can find that summarize things and keep an eye out for changes because you don't want people saying, well, you said we could steal your identity whenever we feel like it. I thought it was interesting. I feel like this story does keep coming back to choice and the fact that like the corporation wanted to take away choice and Gina wanted to give him choice and that the, I mean, the company wanted to take away choice from a lot of people. And then there was also the right and wrong thing. I thought it was so interesting watching him watch them train Proto. And as the reader, you're like, that's just wrong. That's horrible. But the, the people doing it didn't see Proto as anything other than an unfeeling machine, even though clearly it did have feelings because it didn't want to do the thing. And so it was interesting being in the position of the robot in many ways being more human, Cog being more human than some of the humans in the book. So we can get really existential here. What makes us human? I know, right? Where does, where does robots end and humans begin when robots are given choice and morality? I think that the, the fact that Cog had the ability to tell when somebody was doing something not just wrong, but cruel, I think empathy is a lot of what makes us human. The ability to understand other people's emotions, other people's feelings, and that there are other people beyond us. And it's not all about us, which of course means that we're saying that toddlers are not really human because they can't really feel <laughs> beyond that. But I mean, I, 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 but I do think once you're beyond a certain age, part of what makes us human is the ability to understand that you are not the only thing that matters and that other people have emotions and needs and feelings and that you need to respect those. And to me, that was a lot of what made Cog so very human. He also mm -hmm. was very like childlike. He really like, he was constantly learning and he would describe things. I mean, I found parts of that book very funny in the scene where they go and they end up doing the eat all you can eat <laughs> and just his whole description of eating it and the fact that he was designed like he throws up he eats so much that his body cannot hold it and he ultimately throws up and it's and the like the way he describes everything was so funny to me and then but the fact that he was designed to be so human that he had not just a, that he had emotions and he had physical, the ability to physically feel pain and discomfort and that his body functioned like a normal human body was really interesting to me. I guess uh, decision-making too kind of makes us human. Like when, when you think of, you know, someone that isn't cog, like when you think of a robot, it, it can't make decisions. It does what it's programmed to do. So us as humans, like, we can clean or not clean, <laughs> but the, you know, the trash bot, that Our was Roomba it. doesn't have a choice. Exactly. We're back to choice again. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think the ability to grow 
both physically and also emotionally and like learning from our mistakes and all of that. Um, because like, you know, we're saying toddlers, well, toddlers may not know empathy yet, but they are going to grow to develop that skill. They're going to grow to be able to make decisions based off of everything that's happened in their lives. And, and physically grow. I did not get the sense that like Cog or Ada was going to change their appearance. Like they would be this, um, you know, child forever. Like, they uh, yeah, unless their, their computer parts are put into another exactly another fit they don't have their own physical body their physical parts and their kind of other parts are kind of two separate two separate things a lot of times so if you are maybe a little bit terrified of robots taking over the world <laughs> you might want to learn how to code because then you can build the robots and help make sure that the code does not allow them to take over the world. Emmy feels a lot of pressure to live up to her parents' reputation when it comes to music. Can you relate to this? I bet a lot of our readers probably feel sometimes that the grownups in their lives have high expectations for them and there's a definite fear of failure. I didn't think that her parents were the ones expecting stuff of her. I think she felt like she should have been musical. Her mother's an opera singer. Her dad's a pianist. And she feels like she should be able to sing. She should be musicals. It should all come naturally to her. And it doesn't. She's not a great singer. And she finds learning piano difficult. And she's just not a natural musician. So I don't didn't feel like the parents were the ones putting the pressure on her in this book. Although I think that's a valid question. I felt like it was her feeling like she was a disappointment because she didn't inherit any of their natural talent. I feel like there was other people in her, like other grownups that would question her um, inability to be uh, musical based on her genetic background, which maybe kind of got transferred into thinking it was a parental pressure, but I I think she got the pressure from other people, not her parents. Her parents seemed pretty happy with who she was. And that's interesting because um, in school, I played saxophone and I never thought it was something you needed uh, in innate talent to do. I like, I learned it and I, you know, began, began to love it. And then I started practicing. And I feel like music kind of goes along with that but she did have terrible stage fright. And that is, you are gonna have to stand up in front of people and perform. Mm -hmm. So maybe she was more disappointed in that in herself as well, um, because, you know, obviously performance is a big aspect of music in general. I thought it was interesting. I mean, I think she, she didn't have natural singing talent. And it's true, some people have fantastic voices and some people, have okay voices and some people really can't sing um but she clearly had an ear because she could hear she was she was constantly listening to music and engaged in music and all of that um but what i thought was so interesting in this is christina your question about the pressure ultimately the boy who's a bully to her it turns out he's the one who's had that pressure on him mm -hmm. that his father was an incredible 
coder and computer scientist. And his older sister was naturally really good at it, but the father like only wanted it to be a girl, a boy who could do that. And then he has all this pressure to be the one who can, even though his older sister is fantastic at it. And so he's the one who gets that pressure. And then there's the friend, her best friend, who is, um, has a beautiful voice, but really just wants to be a coder. She doesn't want Abby. She doesn't want to be a singer. She has the opposite pressure of like everybody being like, you're a great singer. You need to sing, sing all the time. And mm -hmm. she's pushed into doing all of this singing and she doesn't love it. She doesn't seem to dislike it. It's just, she just wants to do other things. Sometimes when things come easily to us, we take them for granted and we don't maybe see it as a skill or something to be proud of. We'd, we'd rather challenge ourselves, I think, by doing something that takes a little bit of work. There's more reward when you have to work towards something, I think. And I don't know, listeners, you're probably disagreeing. You're like, no, I just want to be good at it. I don't want to have to work. But if you were good at it, like there's probably something that you're really good at and you don't even realize it. And somebody else is sitting there going, oh, I wish I could draw like you, or I wish I could sing like you, or I wish I could play kickball like you. We just don't recognize in ourselves the things that we're really good at, I think, sometimes. Have you read other novels in verse? And do you feel like this format added to the story? I liked all the text features in the story, like um, the font would get bigger or fade out, or it really was very expressive all by itself, I thought. Um, so I did enjoy this one. It was also interesting that it became more coding, code-like as the story went on. And um, as the characters learned more about the coding. So I thought that was really interesting. I have read other novels in verse and um, this one I felt like just the text added extra to the words. I agree with that. Although I found all of the coding very hard to parse. I found the, I, I felt like I was reading a foreign language for a lot of this book. Um, I felt like if somebody had given me a book that had a lot of Spanish sprinkled around it and I would hit the Spanish, but I think I would have understood the Spanish better than I understood the coding. I would be interested to see if other people reading this would have understood it better, especially obviously if they had coded in the same, I think they were coding in Java. Um, so, but even if they had coded in something else, I would be interested to know what, how other people felt about it. But I found the coding bits, like I really didn't understand a lot of what was, what she was saying in the coding. It wasn't explained well enough for me to understand what she was doing and how. And so I found that hard to parse and confusing. I listened to this one. So um, I didn't really get the coding aspect, but I loved the, um, the way she reads it, it's so lyrical. It's like music in many ways. And I love how she connects the, the two. Um, because she, you know, she has a lot of like music terms that she refers to um, and makes it kind of work with coding too, which was really interesting. 
I have read other um, books in verse. One of my favorites is um, Booked by uh, Alexander Kwame, I think is how you pronounce it. And that one I listened to as well. And I think like it, they, you really get the voice of the character. Um, it's a really great way to um, write so that you really get to experience their emotions and thoughts. I think that it's interesting because code, coding, music, and poetry all have lines to them. And so, you know, you refer to the line of a poem, you refer to the line of code that you wrote. And so I think that the, it's kind of, to me, was sort of like a Venn diagram of music and coding and poetry was kind of the middle part there because it has that lyrical aspect to it, but it also has rules in a lot of ways like coding does and it's also written in that line by line format um so I thought it was it was kind of a cool decision and it also I think really crosses that right brain left brain that you can be creative even in a, a field like coding that's typically thought of as being more linear um like okay you do this then you do this then you do this there's still room for creativity there I love the way she tied the coding and the music together and how the coding kind of became her musical outlet, how she almost heard the music in the coding and mm -hmm. created the coding as part of sort of a music that maybe she could, could do in a way that she couldn't do other music. So I, that I really appreciated about the book. She did that when she was um, learning the different steps to a code and kind of turned it into a music. And then it was nice that her teacher also had that same um, way of thinking. Let's talk about her teacher, Ms. Delaney. Um, she's so excited about what she does. <laughs> and I, I hope that all of us have been able to have that experience with the teacher, that we've really been able to connect with them and connect with their enthusiasm. Um, have you ever had a teacher that inspired you like Ms. Delaney? When I was getting my master's, uh, I had, you have to take a few master's in library science, you have to take a few core classes and one of them is cataloging. And my professor was just amazing. He loved it. He absolutely loved it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I, I Scott, I loved his enthusiasm for it. And it's something, even though I'm not a cataloger, I've always like, keep that kind of in my back pocket. I'm always like, oh, I know this. Cause I, because I loved his class so much, I went on to take, uh, get an archives certification and I did a cataloging internship at Columbia in New York city. So like, so he didn't stop by, he inspired me so much just because, and just because he brought such great enthusiasm to it. And it's much like coding funny, funnily enough yeah. too, because you do have, you know, you look at a, a record for a book and it's lines of code to, to a librarian and mm -hmm. their records. So that, that is a funny uh, connection there that, that I think, but yeah, I, I, he was my teacher for sure that inspired me. I guess you'd say I had a teacher too. Um, I had a focus on um, uh, children when I was getting my master's degree and I was um, in this I had this one teacher several times. I was really glad she was just so quietly enthusiastic about it. She was always 
looking for new ways and coming up with new ideas and things for us to do. And she really stretched my brain and it was very, um, it was really a very helpful class. And, you know, so I just admire the way that she truly loves what she's doing. And it just then gets rippled effect out to everybody else. Yeah, I've had several teachers I really liked. I had one teacher in college. Um, he was an English professor. And after I took one of his classes, I basically took anything that he taught that I could fit into my schedule because he was so interesting. You could sit in class for an hour and just listen to him. And he was just fascinating to listen to. And he had such a great, he was so knowledgeable. He would see things I would never see. So I took classes I would probably never have taken except that I knew if he was teaching it, it would be a great class. I think my third grade teacher was just, she was enthusiastic about teaching. She was just a great teacher. But in my third grade classroom, we had a clawfoot bathtub. It wasn't hooked up to water. It was filled with beanbag chairs. And everyone <laughs> got assigned a day during the year where we got to sit and do our work all day in the tub filled with beanbag chairs. And it was just such a ridiculous thing. I don't know how it came about that there was, I don't know, but I just remember that class just being like such a joy all the time. And, um, you know, I just, I think that that's really when my love of, of reading really started. And then I ended up becoming a teacher for a while and teaching third grade. So I think that it all kind of came full circle there. <laughs> Um, and I think coding is so interesting. So I'm actually trying to teach myself how to code right now. I, I know a little bit of HTML and CSS stuff. And it is sort of like Amy, not sort of, it is like Amy was saying earlier, it's a language. There are different coding languages and you have to learn that language like you would learn Spanish or French or Chinese or Mandarin, I should say. Um, so whatever it is, you know, you have to kind of learn these languages. Um, do you feel like you learned anything new about coding or computer science in general from this book? I know there was some cool like history of women in coding stuff that I didn't know. Well, I, I think like Amy, I found the, um, the coding part of the text difficult to follow. Yeah, that... I'm not sure I learned a lot about coding except for like the little sidebars of things. It's, I did like the way that the book actually had like a glossary or, you know, definitions at the back that we could look up the music terms and the coding terms because that was something that I needed to see. Anyone else inspired to try to learn some coding? It can be a lot of fun. I like doing just, at, at my, you know, at libraries and when I was teaching, doing Hour of Code is a lot of fun. To me, it's like, it's like a puzzle. You know, you have to try to put everything into the right place to make the project as a whole come together. I think it's a, it's a lot of fun. It can be really gratifying to get the puzzle pieces in the right places, yes. <laughs> but it can be very frustrating when you don't. And that kind of ties back into COG, you know, a coding is all learning from your mistakes. 
you know, like we were saying before, it's one of those things you can sit there and you can read about it in a book, but until you actually do it and try things out, I don't know that you could learn how to code without actually coding and making mistakes. And Ms. Delaney says, like, when you make a mistake, that just shows me where I need to help you or what I need to go over or how I need to, you know, adjust or, or teach that. And she's, she's very much pro mistake um, in this because it's, that's definitely how you learn it in this, um, this uh, new language. And I do love the whole, um, uh, when Emmy sings public, static, void, main, string, bracket, bracket, args, like, uh, so that's like the, the Java language. And I, I don't, I don't remember all of it because she went through quite like pretty much what all those things mean but I remember that like <laughs> because it was so musical so if I do go to code uh, in Java I will have that at the ready so <laughs> I've learned that was a very helpful learn from this book we'll have to turn turn it all into music mm -hmm. I was going to say that goes into like different learning styles too and if you can get a kid to, you know, understand or remember something musically, then they like, just like you were saying there, um, Michelle, it would just definitely help you remember later on. I thought that this was an interesting book because it had so many layers. On the one hand, it was a friendship book and it was a moving to new town book and and the relationship that she develops with abby is so complex because they both love coding and they're in this class well she doesn't know she loves coding until she starts to do it but they're in this class together and they become really good friends and in a lot of ways she knows abby better than abby's like friends from before but yet abby keeps her kind of a secret for a really long time because she doesn't want to admit to her friends that she'd rather code than sing even though she would and so their relationship is very interesting. And then the way that the teacher sort of deals with Francis, who is the bully and difficult and just unpleasant to have around and slowly cracks away at his facade until you realize what is really going on with him. And they all have, and the kids all start to come together when they find out that the teacher is sick. But even before that, initially, it's just Abby is having her lunch with the teacher so she can do more coding. And then they bring in her, and then Emmy joins her. And then eventually, some of the other kids join. And then even eventually, some of Abby's music friends start to join. And so it was really nice seeing the way that the coding sort of brought these kids together this learning something new and different gave them the opportunity to learn about each other and to change and to to be different and to create something um, i mean it's so gratifying to emmy that she finally manages to create this beautiful thing which is actually a game that she creates using code when she can't create beautiful music. So I thought that was all, I liked all those aspects of the book a lot. But she did end up making music for the game in the, in the end. And that was also like her mother really loved the music. So she didn't know she could do the music after all. And what a nice surprise for her. 
unlocking hidden talents or giving ourselves the confidence. Sometimes we think we're not good at something, but once we give it a shot, we do better than we thought we would. I, I was just going to say like, Amy, I really thought that um, this was relatable. I moved in third grade and it was really hard to break into those groups that are even there in third grade. And, you know, everybody's known each other their whole lives. And this was really something that I would have loved to have read when I was that age. Yeah, I moved between third and fourth grade. And that's, it's, it definitely is a tough time to try to connect with people. And you're still trying to figure out what you like. <laughs> so it's hard to find other people who like the same things when you don't even know what you like. And here they've discovered that they like code. <laughs> Closing thoughts on either book. I was just going to say, I thought they were both like kind of good, quick reads. They both went by pretty fast. So if you're looking mm -hmm. for something kind of a little sciencey and a little bit like fast moving, both of them were, and they were funny because they were so different. One mm -hmm. was completely science fiction. One was completely realistic fiction, but yet they dovetailed so much in some of the sort of themes behind them. So I liked that. If you loved these books, here's some others that you should check out. Inkling by Kenneth Opal. Some other books in verse are Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. Izzy Klein Has Butterflies by Beth Ain. The Crossover, Booked, and Rebound by Kwame Alexander. Inside Out and Back Again by Tenka Lai. Thank you so much for joining us for our final episode of Nutmeg Book Trump's Intermediate Edition for our 2022 Nutmeg nominees. We hope to see you again next year for our 2023 nominees. In the meantime, feel free to go back and listen to previous episodes again or visit our website bit.ly slash librarians connect. Happy reading! <laughs>